Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Have you fully embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ as the only way for sins to be forgiven and to go to heaven when you die? Do you have a growing heart for the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's open now to Romans chapter 1 and see what this incredible book has to say on this matter. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. Today we're going to do Romans chapter 1. We're going to discuss verses 8 through 17 and uh, just some incredible, incredible scripture. If you remember last time we discussed that this book of Romans, it has been said by many that of all the things that have ever been written in the history of the world, literally billions of things that have been written over the centuries that this book of Romans is the greatest piece of writing ever penned in human history. So think about that. Nothing ever written down on paper ever has had more impact, has been more important, has been more powerful, more revelatory, um, more beneficial to humanity than this book of Romans in your Bible. And uh, that's, a, that's a pretty incredible statement. So we're going to invite the Lord in, and then we will get right into it. Father, we thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. We thank you for the word of God, Father. We thank you for our Bible. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you've given us your word that we can study it and that we can come to know you better, Father, and our relationship with you can be more and more and more intimate, Lord. Um, we just thank you, Father, for your mercy and goodness on our lives. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our King, our God, and our friend. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for, for leading us and guiding us and for living in us and for comforting us. Father, we commit this time into your hands and we thank you for it. Lead us and guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, verse 8. Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. We've said this in, in many a podcast now, but we just see this heart of thanksgiving in Paul. The first thing he wants to do is, is be thankful to God. And I know in my own life, I mean, I've probably said this on 20 podcasts. I've probably said it at a thousand Bible studies. And still, I, I, I don't have a lifestyle of thanksgiving that I ought to have. The first thing we ought to do, literally, when you wake up in the morning, when your eyes pop open, pop, right? What ought to come into our heart is, is to start to just start thanking Jesus, right? When we rise in the morning, we just want to thank our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for a new day. First, I thank my God. Thanksgiving ought to be the, the first thing we do. You know, we exist, the air we breathe, uh, just, just every aspect of our existence comes at the mercy of our Father. He owns us. We are his property. We are the property of God, right? And he's, he's given us so much in every way. And, and just to be as candid as I can be, you know, there are days that I, uh, I complain more than I, I thank him. And Father, I ask you to forgive me. Um, Father, forgive me for the, the, the seemingly consistent ongoing days where I am more concerned and frustrated about various aspects of life than I am thankful. Father, I ask you to help us to, to increasingly be thankful for what we do have instead of uh, complaining and being frustrated about all the things that we don't have. Obviously, this applies to almost all of us. If you're listening to this today, how much of your life is characterized by thanksgiving? And how much of your life is characterized by, you know, by frustration, Scott? Just how much? How much time do you spend just thanking Jesus, thanking your heavenly Father? We ought to be doing it throughout our days. It ought to be the first thing. You see verse 8, first I thank my God. Now he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Why does Paul say that? Why does Paul say through Jesus Christ? He could have just said, first, I thank my God for all of you. But he said, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. The Bible is unambiguous. The Bible is clear. It is not nebulous in the fact that we cannot approach God the Father without Jesus Christ. You cannot thank God the Father except through Jesus. There's literally nothing you and I can do except through Jesus Christ our Lord, Stephen. We need Jesus for everything. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. With me, 
all things are possible. I said this last time in Romans 8, it says, without Jesus and the spirit of Jesus, you cannot please God. There's literally nothing we can do without Jesus. Every aspect of our lives, Susanna, has to be marked by Jesus, by walking with Jesus. We come to our Father only through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and humanity. There's nothing we can do except through Jesus. I thank my God through Jesus Christ. When you're thanking your heavenly Father, you always want to remember Jesus. You know, I've noticed more and more and more and more today in uh, in Christians and in uh, in different sermons that we can often listen to an entire teaching and never hear the name Jesus. This ought not be. The only reason we have teachings, the only reason we have a Bible, the only reason we have life is because of Jesus. Without Jesus, life is meaningless. Humanity is useless. There is no church. There is nothing. Jesus Christ is the foundation and the meaning of everything. He's going to say here in verse 17, our faith in Jesus is first to last. Jesus is, is everything in your life and in my life. He's the beginning and he's the end. Your thanksgiving cannot have any meaning except through Jesus Christ, nor can mine. You cannot overestimate the meaning of Jesus. He is everything. He has done everything. Jesus is our all in all. He is our Lord, our master, our king, our God, our savior, our husband, our friend. And even our thanksgiving can't get to the father except through Jesus Christ. So that's why we pray in Jesus name. When you pray in Jesus name, when you end your prayer and say in Jesus name, as we're taught to do rightly, what you're saying is, you know, father, I don't deserve to have this prayer heard in myself. I don't deserve for my prayers to go to you. I don't deserve my thanksgiving to get to you by my own merit, by my own life. But I pray in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, because through what Jesus has done for me at the cross and what he's done for you at the cross, it's in and through Christ that our Father hears our prayers and hears our thanksgiving. So in every aspect, anything we do in life to have any value at all, biblically, has to come through Jesus Christ. And that, that's a pretty heavy statement, but it's what the Bible teaches. Thank you, Lord. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Do we have a kind of faith? Do you have a kind of faith that is reported? I'm not saying it has to be reported all over the world like these Romans, but do you have a quality of faith that people talk about? And simply what that means is, are you, are you just so consistently talking about Jesus and talking about the word of God, the Bible and the kingdom of God that people speak about your faith? I mean, is your faith reported by your family? We ought to be speaking about Jesus. So at least our family, our wives, our children, our parents are reporting about our faith. It, it, it ought to be like you're wearing them out that like, man, 
They come over and all, all that girl wants to do is talk about Jesus. That's all there is worth talking about, right? What else are we going to talk about? I Frankly, I do talk about a lot of things, but none of them have the value like talking about Jesus. I was talking about the terrible cowboy loss yesterday. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. We want to be consistently growing in our faith. We want to be active in our faith to the extent that others speak about it. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. You want to have a faith in Christ. You want to be talking about Jesus in a way that other people notice that it's a consistent part of your life and they may even report it or talk about it or, or tell it to somebody. Verse 9. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you, verse 10, in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. God, whom I serve with my whole heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to serve Jesus with your whole heart? It's quite a concept. I was, uh, I had studied this several times. I had studied it with a couple of different people. And I was saying that, you know, just this concept of, of serving God with your whole heart, what would that look like? Right? This is our, our, our spiritual father, the apostle Paul, undeniably the greatest Christian to ever live. He wrote half the new Testament and most of that from jail. He serves God with his whole heart. I believe that I, I serve the Lord with a portion of my heart, but man, I do want to grow y'all to where I'm more and more serving God with more of my heart. And again, it's okay that, that we have hobbies and we have, you know, we have fun things that we do, but this aspect, what does that look like to serve God with your whole heart? It simply means in, in everything you do, you want Jesus to be a part of it, right? You get up in the morning, you're going to work and just your heart is on Jesus and, and what's the heart of Christ for your life. And you're just, your heart is just so filled with, with Jesus, right? And his will for your life and, uh, and what God wants, you know, your heart is just continually seeking along with your mind. What is, what are the ways of God? What is the will of God? What is the heart of God in everything you do, right? That's, that's a heart that that's just full and out of a full heart you you want to serve him god whom i serve with my whole heart i think about him you know we go to church we we do a lot of whole th a lot of things but paul serves god with his whole heart and as i've said last time we we have a lot of different things we serve a lot of different worldly interests we serve and and again there's nothing wrong with our hobbies but for the vast majority of us and certainly myself uh, we would do well to serve the things of the world less and begin to serve Jesus Christ our Lord more with our whole heart. Paul said, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the single most important thing in the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that Jesus came and lived a perfect life for you and me and died a perfect death for you and me, and he is alive and risen. It's the good news that although we are sinful people, sinful to the core, and in desperate need of forgiveness of our sins, 
the gospel brings hope. It's the only hope that in Jesus Christ, if we will receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior and ask Jesus to come into our heart and be the Lord of our life and save us from our sin, putting our full trust and reliance in Jesus alone, all of our sins will be forgiven. All of your sin, past, present, and future, will be credited to Jesus at the cross and Jesus' perfect righteousness, his righteous life, will be credited unto you. Pretty exciting exchange, right? It's amazing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That exchange is the heart of the Christian gospel. Paul said, um, gospel of a son, God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. Why does Paul not just say, I remember you in my prayers at all times? Why say God is my witness? It's a pretty heavy statement. And it's clear that he's wanting to, to put this emphasis that he wants you to be sure that you know, that you know, that you know, that Paul is constantly remembering you in his prayers. So much so that he says, God is my witness. Now, no, no sane, rational person would say God is my witness unless it was true, right? God is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers. Um, and I was talking to my brother Tom Elder at Kingdom Discipleship. We were going over this before I came. And, you know, I pray for, for, for many people in my circle and in my life um, in various parts of the world, generally every day, right? I consistently remember them in my prayers, sometimes, you know, multiple times. Um, but Paul says constantly, I remember you. What does that mean? Golly, just how is your prayer life? Let's just have a prayer life where we're consistent in praying. He's at a place where he's constantly praying. I mean, I can't even imagine. Can you imagine the blessings of these people at Rome? That the Apostle Paul is constantly remembering them in his prayers at all times. You know, you can pray all throughout the day. You can pray morning, noon, and night. Some people say, I do my prayers at night. You can take a prayer walk. You can take a Thanksgiving walk. You want a meaningful part of your prayer dare I even say most of it, to be intercession. Intercession meaning you're praying for other people. And you can pray many things, right? The biggest prayer for you is that when people don't know Jesus Christ, that you want them to know Jesus, that you want them to be saved from their sin, that you want them to have truly trusted in Jesus Christ. There's people in our lives that are sick and you can be asking Jesus for healing. Obviously, you can have times of thanksgiving where we continually just thank our Father, thank Jesus for all his blessings in our lives, right? How often are you in prayer? Again, you can pray 20 times a day for a minute, and that'd be great. There's no limit on prayer, and prayer deepens our relationship with our Father. It helps us to experience a deeper relationship with him. You know, your father loves you unconditionally. Our heavenly father loves us unconditionally in Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do to get him to love you more, nor should you try to. His love for you is completely unconditional. But how we experience relationship with him 
that is going to be dependent on on our putting the time in and the effort in and the devotion in. It's like any relationship. You know, you, you love your children unconditionally. You love your spouse unconditionally. But the quality of that relationship is going to be based on the amount of time that you give each other and, and spend with each other, right? The more time that I spend with Jesus, the more intimately I'll grow to know him. His love for me isn't going to, going to change based on that. My salvation isn't, a, isn't affected by that. But how I experience relationship with him is, and prayer is one of the biggest parts of that, along with spending time in our Bible. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Um, Paul has never been to Rome. You know, he's, he's writing this letter probably because he has never been there. And again, he's writing it by the providence of God, led by the Holy Spirit. But it's interesting that he says, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, Paul acknowledges that his travels and the things that are going on in his life are by the will of God. You know, I'll tackle verse 13 now. He said, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. So Paul's desire, you know, he said, I don't want you to be unaware that he was planning many times. He wanted to come to them. And he says he wanted to come to them so that, that he could preach the gospel and that many people would come to know Jesus Christ. It's interesting. You know, uh, we all want to plan to go a lot of places for a lot of things. Paul said, I want to go to Rome in order that I might have a harvest among you. When you travel someplace, when you go someplace, it, it's, it's almost a ridiculous question, right? But are you looking for a harvest are we looking for a harvest? Do you go someplace when you leave the house? Are you looking for a harvest? Are you looking that someone might come to know Jesus Christ? When I go out, it's because I, I want some chicken. I go out because I, I, I want a Starbucks. Paul goes out because he wants to have a harvest. I want to go to Rome so I can have a harvest. Again, we just, we just see a, uh, a level of devotion in this and this man of God that's, uh, that's an example to us. In order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. We talked last time and we said there are two groups of people in the Bible, always. Those of Jewish descent, the Jews, and everyone else, the Gentiles. If you were not born of Jewish descent, then you are a Gentile. A Gentile is someone who's not Jewish. In Rome... Paul said that he wanted to have a, a harvest there. He wanted people to come to know Jesus Christ. He wanted to share with them that a Savior has come and that they could receive Jesus and be forgiven of all their sins. Father, I ask you to help us to have this mindset of a harvest in our, in our lives, in our churches, Lord, in our homes, wherever we are, Lord. I ask you to give us a burden the people for people who don't know Jesus, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Father. Um, and again, he says, I do not want you to be unaware that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now. So again, Paul sees the providence of God in his life. He sees the will of God that surpasses or transcends his plans, right? 
And again, in verse 10, he says, and I pray that now at last by God's will, I'm praying, he's praying, he's praying in our prayers. You know, we often pray about some things we want to do, but what we ought to pray is that whatever the Lord has put on your heart to do, you want it to be in the will of God. And I pray that now at last by God's will. Oftentimes we do things, I certainly do, where I just do it and I hope it was the will of God. We ought to pray for many a different thing, right? That it's the will of God. Big things in our lives, right? You can do little things as well, right? We want to live our lives in the will of God, right? And certainly we know that by the scriptures. But in everything, literally, you can invite Jesus into it, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not going crazy here. I'm not saying you need to pray what socks to put on in the morning. I'm not saying, you know, you need to pray if I can go to the bathroom. Don't hear me there, okay? My point is that the deeper and more active your relationship with Jesus, the more leading he has in your life, in, in every aspect of your life, the, the better off you and I will be. Verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Do you ever have a heart to call or to meet with brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, call them on the phone or meet with them in person just because you want to impart something to them. You want to have fellowship you want to have community. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That ought to be your heart today and mine. Wherever you are, wherever your circle is, whoever your brothers and sisters in Christ are, you ought to have a heart to be talking to them so that you can impart some spiritual gifts, so some revelation, some understanding. And then verse 12, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. We, we ought to be consistently encouraging one another. Again, you can talk to somebody on the phone for a 10 or 15 minute conversation, just talking about some Bible passage you read or just talking about maybe a church service you went through or a, a program that you watched. And, and that uh, with, do you have that heart in you? Can you recognize a time where you're wanting to, to just bless somebody, right? You know, maybe you, you know, you share a Bible verse with them, right? Certainly Scott shares these podcasts and, and y'all do. But do you have a heart to impart spiritual gifts, right? A heart to be a blessing, right? I long to see you, not so we can go have a beer, although there's nothing wrong with that, but I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift. Do you have a longing to be a blessing and to, to impart something to your fellow believers in Christ, because you want them to be stronger in their faith. Help us, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And then Paul says, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. When you come together with people, oftentimes we come together and most oftentimes we socialize, but there's nothing better than fellowship. Just coming together and talking about Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Reach out to fellow believers, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, and, and encourage them in their faith, right? And then just as, as you do it more and more, this dynamic will develop where you'll be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Mm. Verse 14, 
I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. 15. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. The gospel is for everyone. Paul said, I'm obligated to everyone. It's God's will that all people be saved, that everyone come to know Jesus Christ. Whether you're a Greek or a non-Greek, that's, kind of, that's everybody, right? Everybody in the world is either a Greek or a non-Greek, okay? As he says here, you know, in Rome, everybody's a Greek or a non-Greek. And then in, throughout the scriptures, you're either of Jewish descent, a Jew or a Gentile, right? Everybody needs Jesus Christ. Every single human being is a sinful person. All of us have sinned. We've all done wrong. And we're all separated from God the Father because of our sin. Whether we're wise or foolish, Paul said, I'm obligated. Whether someone's smart or not so smart. Whether someone has a high society lifestyle or low society. Whether someone's rich or poor. Everybody needs Jesus. And we are obligated as a church. We're obligated as believers to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone. The good news. The gospel's the good news that although you and I are terribly sinful people, sinful and deserving of hell, that Jesus came and lived a perfect life for us and had a perfect death for us. And he's alive and risen. And if you believe that and call on him and say, Jesus, come into my heart and save me from my sin, be the Lord of my life, you will be saved from your sin. You'll be forgiven all of your sin. All of your sin, Jesus will take at the cross of Christ. And in exchange for your and my sin, he'll give us in return his perfect righteous life. His righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. It just, it's an amazing, amazing thing. This gospel, everyone needs it. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. You and I are obligated to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to spread throughout the world till everyone knows it and Jesus can come back. Hopefully he'll come back before this podcast ends. And it doesn't even matter whether someone's wise or foolish rich or poor, smart or dumb. We all need Jesus Christ. Verse 16 and 17, we'll end here. Um, these are two of the most profound verses in, in all the Bible. They are overwhelming. Verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Verse 17, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Wow. Verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Sometimes it's hard for us as believers to just proclaim the gospel out in the world, right? Most people, you know, we'd, you know, we'd rather uh, 
we'd rather give someone our, our, our paycheck than have to preach the gospel in public, right? It's, it's hard, right? You imagine just walking up to a Starbucks and just, you know, there's somebody in line and just, you know, you're talking to them and say, Hey, do you, do you know Jesus? Have you received Jesus into your heart? You know, there's uh, our ministry. You can get it at the, uh, on the website, kingdomd.org. You know, there are gospel tracks there. You know, you can print them off and you can leave them in places and it, it shares the gospel there. But there are all kinds of tools. But we don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is everything to us. Again, the gospel is the good news of what Jesus has come and done for us. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul was not ashamed to talk about the gospel. He was not ashamed wherever he went to talk about Jesus Christ. Even though he'd be ridiculed for it, even though people would say, you know, he's just talking nonsense. Father, I ask you to forgive us when we've been ashamed of the gospel, right? Sometimes, again, we, you know, it, it takes courage to share the gospel. It takes courage to talk to somebody about Jesus. The whole world will stop. You ever went to a public place, right? And you were talking to somebody and all of a sudden, you know, you just said, hey, do, you know, do you know Jesus? You'll notice time will stop, right? Because the gospel is the power of God. You know, we have a spiritual enemy, right? You know, there are demons, obviously the devil, Satan. There's nothing he opposes more. There's nothing they oppose more more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why? I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God. There has been a, a saying that I've heard my, my entire Christian life that, that has been attributed to, to Francis of Assisi, although he, he never actually said these words. But many, many Christians have actually gravitated to it, and it's, uh, it is, it's completely incorrect. The saying is, and you may have heard it, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Now, that's, that's a completely unbiblical statement, and Francis of Assisi never actually said that. He did say that we should preach the gospel by our deeds. That being said, our deeds alone can never save anyone. Our love alone can never save anyone. My love never saved anybody. It's only by the gospel. It's only the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone hearing it, someone being convicted by it, someone believing it, and by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone that we are saved. This is the only way we are saved. We must always use words because it's the gospel that's the power of God for salvation. Now, that being said, of course, we should live a life of love and good deeds. Of course, we should love people. And of course, our love should be attractive to people. However, at some point, they are going to have to hear the gospel or they cannot be saved because it's the gospel that's the power of God for salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. When we talk about Jesus Christ, when we speak about Jesus Christ, the living power of God is there 
and comes alive, right? And it leads people to repent and to believe the gospel and to put their faith in Jesus Christ and to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. The gospel is actually the power of God. When you speak the gospel, when you talk to someone about Jesus and about all that he did on the cross and his love for you and and his love for me, the very power of God is in the gospel for salvation. The power of God for salvation. Salvation means to be saved from your sin, saved from the penalty of your sin, which is hell. And going to heaven when you die. That's what salvation is. Being saved from your sin in hell and literally going to heaven when you die. The gospel is the power of God. The good news about Jesus Christ is the power of God that saves us, that brings salvation. And it has power to help us understand. It has power to change hard hearts. The gospel of Jesus Christ can melt a hard heart and lead them to salvation. It's the gospel that's the power of God. Now, of course we should love people. Of course you know, we should be loving Christians, but none of that's going to save anyone. We always need to be doing that. But for someone to be saved, they're going to need to hear the gospel. So you have to use words. You will always have to use words. Now you can use them by speaking them. You can hand out a a gospel tract. Um, You can show someone in the Bible, right? But we are going to have to use words. Okay. Nobody ever got saved without hearing the words, ever. Either you had to hear them by reading them in the Bible, you had to hear it by someone speaking it, maybe you read it in a gospel tract. However you did, you heard the gospel. You heard the good news that although you're a terrible sinner, as am I, that Jesus came and lived for you and died for you, and you were saved. We have to share and speak the words. Or again, When you give a a piece of Christian literature, a gospel tract that has the words on it, okay? But the gospel is the power of God. Not my life, although I should live a good life. My life is not the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. My love is not the power of God. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The Jewish people were given the word of God first, okay? God called Abraham. He called a particular race of people, a small race of the Jewish nation, the Hebrew nation. And he gave them the word of God. You remember the Ten Commandments came through Moses, the first five books of the Bible. Um, God wrote the commandments on, uh, on stone. We have them on our courthouses around the country. Lord willing, they stay there. Um, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Again, there's, there's, there's everybody, Right. It's for salvation. It's to save us from our sins for all, hu- all people, Jewish people and everyone else, Gentile people. Everyone needs Jesus. Every single human being needs Jesus. Without Jesus, our sins cannot be forgiven. We cannot be saved. We cannot go to heaven. And regrettably, the only other place is hell. And I don't even like that. I wish everyone was saved, but that's what the Bible teaches. Verse 17. 
For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What does this mean? For in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. What would be the opposite of a righteousness that is by faith? The opposite would be a self-righteousness, right? A self-righteousness is when we are trying to be made right with God by our own righteous life or our own righteous good works. That can never save you or me, okay? Nothing we do can save us. I said last time the best five minutes I live would send me to hell. We need the righteousness of Jesus Christ in order to be saved, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, okay? So we're not saved by doing right things. We're not saved by doing good things. We're not saved by doing a good life because none of that will take away our sin. Good doesn't take away bad, okay? We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot have a self-righteousness. If you're trusting in yourself today, you need to repent and come to Jesus Christ, you need to be fully trusting in what Jesus has done for you, for you to be made right with God. Because nothing you or I do, have done, will do can help us to be made right with God. A self-righteousness, again, is when you're trusting in yourself, in your own good life, your own righteous deeds to save you and, and bring you to heaven. And the Bible says it cannot happen. Okay, but in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you abandon all hope in yourself and you say, Jesus, I'm hopeless, I need you. As we've said, all of your sin, past, present and future is credited to Jesus at the cross, is imputed to Jesus at the cross. Jesus opened his arms, he stretched his arms wide at the cross, took a nail in each hand and in his feet and accepted all of your and my sin there, all of our disgusting sin, all of it. He took it. He loved us so much. And then in return, he not only took all our sin, he then gave us his perfect righteousness, his perfect righteous life. He gave us. Look at that exchange. All of my vile sin given to him and the perfect righteous life that he lived given to me. So now when God the Father sees me or sees you, he sees us with the same righteous life as Jesus had. <laughs> Try to think about the magnitude of that. In Jesus Christ, God the Father sees you with the same righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees you completely sinless. That's a pretty good gospel, right? That exchange, your sin for his righteousness, is the very heart of the Christian gospel. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. It's not a man-centered righteousness, a righteousness from God. We're, we're made righteous. God is crediting us his righteousness. The very righteousness of Jesus Christ is given to us. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. A righteousness from God is revealed. Not a man-centered righteousness. Not a, not a self-righteousness. 
it's revealed in the gospel that we're made righteous by what Jesus has done in receiving his perfect righteousness. A righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. It's not by faith a little bit. It's not by faith and then works. It's not by faith and, you know, something that you're doing. This righteousness, the righteousness of Christ that's credited to you is entirely by putting your faith and trust totally and only in Jesus completely. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, from beginning and to end. It's all by faith in what Christ has done for you and done for me. And then the result of that, when we've truly come to faith in Jesus Christ and we've received the righteousness of Christ, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith, right? We, we get life by faith. We're saved by faith alone. In Christ alone, we're saved, right? From beginning to end, first to last. And then we live our lives, not, not based on salvation, but after that, we live our lives by that same faith. We live in faith. We only can do righteous things through our faith in Jesus Christ and wanting to please him, right? It's only in Jesus Christ that we can live a lifestyle of righteousness, Nathan. After we've come to receive and be born again and receive Jesus's righteousness, then we do labor after salvation, we do want to have a lifestyle of righteousness, but even that comes by our faith in Christ. By faith, we obey the word of God, right? Thank you, Lord. Father, we th thank you for the word of God. We thank you again for this incredible book of Romans. We thank you for the incredible principles taught here. Lord, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you. I ask you to help us, Father to continue to grow, to not be ashamed of the gospel. Father, we are not ashamed of the gospel, and we thank you, Lord, for the gospel of our only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your mercy in our lives. Father, we do pray that, that all those who don't know Jesus would truly come to bow the knee to Jesus, put their faith and trust in Christ alone as their only Lord and Savior. Father, we love you. I ask you to help us, Father, that we might uh, that we might continue to, to that we might start to more and more and more encourage one another and be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. Father, we love you and we bless you and we praise you. We thank you that the gospel is the power of God that will bring salvation to everyone who believes. Father, open the hearts of all those who don't know you in our lives and around the world. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org.